This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Today, Pastor Ty Goldstrom is going to conclude a message that he taught when I was in Jamaica on Nehemiah, Originally recorded August 9, 2003. Now, let's finish the program. And so someone is coming to him in a, basically a prophetic word that people are coming to kill you. We should go hide in a temple. And Nehemiah says right here, how can a man such as I? What he was meaning for, and what the Amplified Version translates, is because it is a place for the priests. That's why he didn't want to go in there. It wasn't just because he didn't want to flee, which is probably true, because that was the wrong place to flee. That was a place ordained by God in the law of God for priests to be, and he was not a priest. That's nice, that's teaching, but what about the preaching? Well, there's many people today that come to us, and for different motivations, they want us to break a law of God to try to satisfy the natural man, don't they? They try to get us to compromise. They try to get us entertained in gossip or slander. They try to pull us away by telling us to do something that we know is a conflict of interest with Jesus Christ. And it takes courage to stand up against that. It takes a prayerful person that is established deep within their heart that they do not want to sin against the ways of Jesus. Because if you haven't made up that mind, like Augustine, I believe it was Augustine that had a struggle with lust. One of the famous quotes by Augustine early in his life was, Lord, deliver me from lust, but not yet. We can't be like that. We have to be people that have made that decision that whatever that hard part in your life is, if your struggles with lust, if it's with gossip, it doesn't matter with it, we got to make that determination. I do not want to sin against the Lord. Because there will be people that come, influenced by the devil, to tempt you. Again, we're not fighting flesh and blood. Don't get caught up in the person. There's a devil behind that person that's trying to get you. He knows your weaknesses. Have you made a determination in your hearts through prayerful consideration that you will not sin against the Lord? He works the same way. His temptations are always the same. But we, in our fleshly mind, if we're always in this area, then we fulfill the scripture that says it's like a dog returning to its own vomit. We are so often like the dog returning to your own vomit. We are as stupid as sheep in the natural man, and we'll just go right through the slaughter, won't we? We'll walk right into it. Even though we walked right into it yesterday, and then we cried out in unbiblical repentance, Oh, Lord, I'm grieved. I sin against you. Remember that? but didn't have a biblical repentance, didn't have a real transformation of the heart. So the very next day, Satan says, ah, there's no repentance, there's no change there. They can just do the same exact temptation. You walk right into the slaughter. And this is the rhythm we get into in our lives. It only can be broken through biblical repentance. It only can be broken by casting yourself to the feet of Jesus. 
Don't cast yourself to man. Don't go to man. Don't go to people around you. Don't find your own method of repentance. This is what man does. It's called, I will say, this many Hail Marys. This rosary, that rosary. This is man's way of finding a new method to reconcile themselves, to reconcile their grief when they sin. Because we have grief when we sin. Unless you're dead. Unless you're so cut off from your sin that you could care less. But most people, when they sin, they have grief. And they want to rectify it. They want to get rid of it. How do they do it? Well, this man casts himself to other people. Finds new motivations and new ways to get rid of the grief. The spiritual man is God-dependent and throws himself, like Peter, out of the boat and swims to his Lord. Amen? So when the whirlwind hits, how does the godly leader respond? He responds this way, the spiritual man. Chapter 6 and verse 9. This is how he responds. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will be so weak that the work will not be done. But now strengthen my hands. Amen? I love that verse. But now strengthen my hands is the cry of Nehemiah. This is what he prays. Lord, strengthen my hands. My enemy's coming. You can almost see and discern and sense the surrender in him. As he lifts up his hands to the Lord and says, Now strengthen my hands so that I can do the will of God. So that I will be faithful. So I will not compromise. So I will not get into this thing. They're threatening me. It's easy for me to find comfort in my neighbor. To find a way, human wisdom, to get out of this. But Lord, strengthen my hands so I can stay right here. So I can stay true to your word. Amen? That takes courage. Nehemiah was a man of courage. Nehemiah identified himself with and had concern for the people. We talked about when we read the great prayer in chapter 1. In the end of that prayer, in verse 10, it says, Now these are your servants, speaking of the people of Israel, and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah, in that prayer, it's such a powerful prayer, because what does he do? He prays, he fasts, and he weeps. Why? It wasn't just for the gates, the physical structure. But I think the biggest thing that burdened him was the people, his people, who were living in shambles. It was the people of God that burdened Nehemiah. And he cries out to God because he wants to make a place that's suitable for the people of God. You know what? I don't think he probably was ever in Judah. He was most likely probably born in Babylon, long after the captivity. But he has been told story after story about the great temple built by who? Solomon. Isn't that true? Of the magnificence, of the influence of Jerusalem, the city that God built. He'd heard all the stories. And now what's the testimony? It's shabbles. There's nothing. It's rubble. And the people there, the mindset. If you've ever been in a third world country, you'll notice very quickly, and you can get this in the inner cities of America, but the people become disparaged, become depressed, and you can see that their lifestyle, they don't take care of anything anymore. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. But I've seen it in the different countries I've gone to, is that the people, classic places in America, Indian reservations. If you go through an Indian reservation, I, believe me, I pray that the kingdom of God come to the Indians. I'm not trying to say anything disparaging against the Indians. But if you go through the majority of Indian reservations, you will see a place that's in shabbles. You will see garbage all over the place. You'll see abandoned cars all over the place. They do not take care of their stuff any longer. And it's like that throughout the world. And I believe that when Nehemiah came, Nehemiah didn't come after he got there with his, all his stuff. He didn't have all these people standing there with their shovels and picks in their hands saying, let's go at it. That is not the people that Nehemiah had on his side. 
The people have been living in poverty and rubbles, and I believe their mentality probably was so much like many people in the third world country or the Indians. They had no faith. They would probably sit there saying, this is us, this is our situation. Amen? And he had to do something. His love for the people, he had to instill faith. So the city was destroyed from previous invasions. The walls of the city were leveled. Gates destroyed. They had been in this state for some time, and the mentality of the people was numb to progress. But you know what Nehemiah did? He raised the morale of the people. Chapter 2 and verse 19 says, But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah, the servant, the Amorite, the Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us to scorn and despise us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Verse 20 says, I answered them, The God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right in Jerusalem. The God of heaven will prosper us. He had to build the morale of the people. This is what a spiritual leader will do. Chapter 8 and verse 10. It says, be not depressed, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So faith in what? That the project wasn't simply ordained by man, but it was ordained by God. When God gives a vision or a dream to a person, they've got to have the leadership to instill that to the people, don't they? And so oftentimes, why people don't get visions and dreams because God knows if He gave a vision or dream to the person, they wouldn't be able to do anything with it. Because they don't have the character, they don't have that time of prayer to have the courage and faith to make the thing happen. If God tells you, gives you a vision or dream, that there's a leader of a big church that's going to have serious problems soon, but if you are still fearful of man, you don't have the courage because you haven't spent enough time with Jesus, then He's going to give that vision to somebody else that's met those conditions, that's spent that time. Faith breeds faith, and doubt breeds doubt. Godly leaders eradicate doubt and instill faith. Leadership is influence, whether good or bad. This is something that we really need to hear today. Because every single person, adult in here especially, you have leadership whether you want it or not. Because leadership is what? Just influence. All of us have some influence on some people. The question is, do we use that influence for good or bad? That's why it's critical if you're any kind of leadership in a ministry, and we'll just make it personal, like when you come here, that's why it's critical that you enter into intercessory prayer and pre-service prayer. Why? Because people that are influenced by you, and different people have a different amount of influence, but if they look at you as someone as a leader in their life, as someone that gives influence, then if they see you doing something else, that justifies them not to do it. Amen? <laughs> this is why it's so critical if you're an adult and you're a leader, that you use your leadership for the good and not the bad. That when we come together for corporate worship, corporate prayer, that you are doing that thing, getting involved. That you're not talking and holding conversations. I see that quite often. And the conversations might be important, but there's a time for conversations and there's a time for prayer, amen? And if I go out to pre-service prayer, and I say, wait a second, I forgot to tell something to Brother Wayne, and I go up, and when everyone's praying, and start talking to Brother Wayne, and the other people that see me as a leader, they say, wait a second, he's not praying, he's talking, that justifies me, I can go talk. Do you see how that works? All of us have leadership, to some degree, for the good or for the bad. Your decision in your life, beyond reproach, is to constantly be in this area, so that you can do things that prosper the kingdom through your leadership. Amen? That's why it's so important, that's why... I want to be built up with expectation and faith because I want to come here expecting that I'm going to encounter Jesus. If you don't expect that, the fruit of your life is why would you pray and intercede for something you don't expect to happen anyway? Why would you invest that time? What's your concept of worship? 
Is it just a right? Is it just a thing you do? Or is it really an encounter with Jesus Christ? If it's not really an encounter for Jesus Christ, why would you take the investment to do it? This is why it's so crucial that leaders are disciplined in these areas. Because other people will justify their own sin and their own laziness when they see a leader doing something apart from what they should be doing. This is why it's crucial. Chapter 4, verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabians, Ammonites, and Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were going up, and that the breaches were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to endure and cause confusion and failure in it. But because of them, we made our prayer to our God, and we set a watch against them day and night. And the leaders of Judah said, The strength of the burden bears is weakening, and there is much rubbish. We are not able to work on the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come into their midst and kill them and stop the work. And when the Jews who lived near them came, they said to us ten times, You must return from all places where they dwell. They will be upon us. So I sat behind the wall in places where it was least protected. I even thus used the people as families with their swords, spears, and bows. I looked them over and rose up and said to the nobles and officials and the other people, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Earnestly remember the Lord and imprint him on your minds, great and terrible, and take from him courage to fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that their plot was known to us and that God had frustrated their purpose, we all returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And from that time forth, half of my servants worked at the task, and the other half held the spears, shields, bows. And the leaders stood behind all of the house of Judah. Those who built the wall and those who bore burdens loaded themselves, so that everyone worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And every builder had his sword girded by his side, and so worked. And he who sounded the trumpet was at my side. Praise the Lord. Take the courage, amen? Get a plan from the Lord. Jeremiah was a person that could hear the cry of the people. He was a person that heard. Many times there was complaints. Sometimes they were righteous, sometimes they were fleshly. But he always heard the complaints of the people. And when they were legitimate complaints, he reenacted order. He played the advocate for him. And so Nehemiah was not only a man of prayer, but a man of courage. He's a person identified and had concern for the people. You know what the fruit of Nehemiah's ministry is? The real fruit of it is, is this one verse, and it's so simple. Chapter 6 and verse 15. Chapter 6 and verse 15 says, So the wall was finished. And that really is the fruit of the leadership of Nehemiah. And so the wall was finished. You know how long it took that wall around the city that was in rubbles? Can you imagine coming to a city like the size of Jerusalem and having a wall that surrounded the whole entire city that was built up and, you know, I don't know how high those walls were, 20 feet, more. Can you imagine coming to a city that size and all of it's just rubble all over, all around the whole city and being commissioned by the Lord to somehow get this thing back together? That is a big project. How long did it take them? 52 days. That's a fast project. <laughs> That is awesome. You can start to appreciate the leadership that Nehemiah had to do. But you know what? He was wise. 
It says that when he went to Jerusalem, when he first got there, what did he do? He's saying, ah, I've been sent by the Lord to rebuild the wall. No, it says he was there for three days before he said one thing. Why? Because it says that he went out when? At night to survey the wall. Why? Because he knew that he had to get a perspective. He had to get a plan. He had to see what was going on. It's like Brother Wayne, who in some ways is the builder of the physical walls here. If pastor says, I want you to do this project, Brother Wayne, Brother Wayne can't say, all right, it'll take me this many days. He's got to go survey the thing. He's got to figure it out. He's got to look at it. Maybe tear it up a little bit and take a look at what's going on. Then he has to pray and meditate and say, what's the wise thing here? Well, how am I going to get these things done? Give me a plan. And then he presents the plan. But you can't get people to back behind you. You can't be a spiritual leader if you yourself don't understand the project at hand. You can't just walk into a church as a new pastor and all of a sudden start acting out things the very first day. I tell you, those people will flee you so fast. You've got to spend that symbolic three days. Will that be three days or three months? Surveying the situation, amen? And this is really what pastor is calling us to do as leaders, as department heads. Stand back for three days, symbolically. What's going on here? Look at the area. Look at the project. Look what the Lord is doing here in television, in radio, in intercessory prayer. Take a look and get a plan. The Lord's plan, the Lord's strategy. And then work it. Amen? But the scripture explicitly tells us these things. It tells us that he went to Jerusalem and was there three days and at night, with a very small amount of people, the scripture says, he went and surveyed the whole area. At night. Why? Because he didn't want to do it out in public right now. He was trying to gather the plan, the strategy. Praise the Lord. So that's the fruit of Nehemiah's leadership. So the wall was completed. And today, we have been called to build walls. We have been called to build the church without walls, too. But what I want to really ask you is, what is the wall the Lord has asked you to build? What is the commission the Lord has on your life to build? And do you demonstrate the characteristics of a Nehemiah, who was a man vast in prayer, a man who had great courage, a man who could be sensitive to the people around him, who took identity with him. Remember that prayer he said in chapter 1? He says, I have sinned against you. Identifying the sin of the land. When we talk about America, we can't talk about America in some disparaging way where we say, oh, America, we have sinned against the Lord. Are you an American? Then we have sinned against the Lord. Amen? If you want to be a true leader, you've got to identify yourselves with the people, and not just in their sorrows, you've got to identify with the people in their sin. Nehemiah said right there, I and our fathers have sinned against you, Lord. Identifying. If he wanted to identify him in a way to rebuild the wall, he had to identify with the problem. He had to identify with the situation. And so he said, Lord, I have sinned against you. Because he understood that he was part of the body, the greater body. And we are part of the body of Christ. We, I, we have sinned against the Lord. The church in America, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned against you. Because I am part of the body. I am part of the problem. Amen? He wants to use every single person to remedy the problem. But all of us are the problem. When he judges the church, when he judges America, I'm going to be there too. Amen? I'm not going to underneath the wrath of God. But when he comes with persecution, there are going to be Christians who die. Amen? You've got to understand that. There are going to be Christians who die when there's judgment on America. There's going to be Christians, born again, spirit-filled Christians, who will die in the judgment. I mean, I never heard of statistics, but I'm sure that even in the Twin Towers, I'm sure there was Christians that died, amen? I'm sure there was Christians. So when the judgment comes to a land, we have to identify with it. When we pray and intercede for a city or for this country, we need to pray like Nehemiah. Lord, 
forgive us. We have sinned. I have sinned against you. You can't separate yourself from the problem and think that you're going to be able to attach yourself back to the problem and fix it. You have to identify yourself with the problem. Amen? And then you can start fixing. So the wall is completed. I want so badly for each person in here, man, woman, and child, to really know the commissioning that the Lord has in your life. Because without that commissioning, you really feel lost. Without understanding your calling and the gifts that God has given you, you feel lost. But the thing about Jesus Christ is that he has given gifts, hasn't he? And he's given a commission. And he wants you to know what wall to build. He wants you to know what you are supposed to do. But I also want to encourage you that if you're building a wall, don't look at somebody else's wall as big and a little shinier than yours, a little bigger than yours, a little more out in front of other people. Amen? When the Lord has given you a wall, don't look at other people's walls. Just build your wall. Just be faithful. Just do the thing that the Lord has commanded you to do. Because what happens is, if you've got this kind of, what you consider an insignificant wall, and someone else is building this big, prestigious marble wall, then all of a sudden you look at their wall and you say, wait a second, I'll go help them build their wall. Amen? Because their wall is bigger and better and shinier. You understand what I'm saying? That's the tendency. I, I do that all the time. You know, you see some great organization, Voice of the Martyrs, or any organization out there that's just doing a real good, nice work. You know what I'm saying? Hmm, maybe I could get a part of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? But you know what? You'd be the same person there. You get there, you'd be there for six months, and you'd be looking at another wall. Get your eyes on, the, on your own wall. The Lord has given you gifts to accomplish a certain task, to build something for the kingdom of God. Keep your eyes on it. When you faithfully complete the wall like Nehemiah did, Nehemiah's ministry wasn't over when the wall was completed. That has propelled them into better ministry, further ministry, a bigger ministry, a more influential ministry. Not for these ambitions, but for these ambitions. Praise the Lord. And so I'm looking forward. I'm not sure how Dr. Cottle is going to present the book of Nehemiah. I'm not sure if he'll get into the character of Nehemiah, but really you can't talk about the book without talking about the character of the man. And he was a great leader. He was a man of prayer, a man of courage, a man who would identify himself with the people, a man who was wise, a man who surveyed the problem and got the answers before he started talking. I mean, you've heard pastor talk many times about the Lord to give him a, a word for a person. But there's also the timing for giving the word, isn't there? There's wisdom and discretion that has to be used. And these are all part of good leadership. You can blow everything by doing the wrong timing. Totally blow it. The Lord can give you a word, and the word is for next week. And you give it now, and it can totally blow it. Nehemiah was a man of wisdom, a man of courage. And so I pray that, that we can take on these attributes. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to commit our lives to you, Lord. We thank you for your word, the word of God, the word of Nehemiah. We thank you for the richness of the word and we look forward, dear God, even this class, those who are taking it, I pray that you would teach us more about these areas of leadership, these areas, Lord God, that you are desperately wanting. And the church is so hungry for good leadership, people that are positively influence the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we just want to put ourselves in a position to be used by you however you might want to use us. And so, Father, help us, Lord. I pray that for each person here that you would reveal to them the project, the wall that you have for them. And that we would just dedicate ourselves, that we would get the commission, get the strategy, and go to your Bible, go to your word to accomplish it. And so I pray a blessing on every single person here, on the department heads, I pray a blessing on them, that in some way that what we talked about today would help them, Lord God. And so Lord, we just commit our lives to you. We pray, dear God, that you be with the team in Jamaica, Lord. Be with Pastor, be with Brother Tom, and Brother EJ, Lord, Brother Mike, and his family, Lord God. We just pray blessings on them. I pray, dear God, that you would prosper their steps, Lord God. I pray, dear God, that you would give them the wisdom of the Nehemiah, the leadership of Nehemiah, 
to be able to take this huge project of the revival in Jamaica and that you would give them favor, dear God. I pray, dear God, that the same way that Nehemiah could motivate and raise the morale of the people, that through the power of the Holy Ghost working through this team, they could raise the morale of the people, that they could raise the morale of the spiritual and political leadership there, to come on a board and build this wall in Jamaica, to accomplish this thing for the kingdom of God. And so I pray a blessing on Pastor Hanson and the team. Protect them, dear God. Let the blood of Jesus cover them. Let your holy angels be about them. And we just pray that victory and the peace of Jesus Christ would surround them. Let them have victory, Lord God. Let them come back the same way as before. That the meetings would go and everything that would go so much better than they could ever have comprehended or expected. And so bless them, Lord. Encourage them and strengthen them. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters right here that you would encourage and strengthen them. Give us a good, good afternoon, a good evening. Help us, dear God. And I pray first and foremost that if anything that we could learn from Nehemiah, that first we have to be determined in our heart to be men and women of prayer. That we have to be disciplined in that area, Lord God. Motivate us, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, and forgive us, Lord God. Help us to put our hand to the plow and never, ever look back. Bless us, Lord. We love you. We commit our lives to you. And we say, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' holy name, amen. This is Dr. Hansen. I hope you've enjoyed the conclusion of Nehemiah taught by Pastor Ty Goldstrom. May God richly bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.